Welcome to the BMC Run and Reinvent Podcast. Today's guest is Amaya Suarez, VP of IT from First Data. And our host today is Allison Kramer, Senior Director of Marketing here at BMC. Our topic today is creating a roadmap for IT transformation. Okay, Allison, I'll let you take it from here. Great, thank you, Jill. Um, Amaya, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to listen to your story and to learn more about your success at First Data. Um, so first question out of the gate is if you could please introduce yourself to our audience and then tell us a little bit more about First Data and your role there. All right. Hello, this is Maya Suarez. I'm uh, Vice President of IT at First Data. And First Data is one of the largest payment processors in the world. Um, we serve small merchants all the way to, to large banks and other institutions. And uh, within IT, um, my role is to support and, and um, transform all the tool sets that we are using within the company for automation and tools to drive forward our vision. Fantastic. Um, so we understand that you have recently gone through some of a sort of operations transformation. Um, could you tell us more about that and your thought process and how you developed your vision of where you wanted to go, what even the road mapping process was like and where you are in that journey so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, at this point, it's a continual process. But since the time that I started and a bit before I started, um, the CTO started uh, First Data on a, a journey towards transformation of our, of our infrastructure operations. Um, First Data is a pretty, pretty old company. It started in 1971. And so we actually have everything from uh, a massive mainframe footprint to servers and um, all over the world as well as we have a, quite a bit of cloud infrastructure. Um, so when I started, basically the, the whole transformation started with um, actually defining what is that vision for us. And the vision revolves around um, automation, getting away from manual work, as well as self-service, um, transparency of data, and so on. Um, so, so just to talk about a little bit about how we sort of laid the foundation for looking at the entire ecosystem of tools and automation that we use. One of the things that was pretty apparent is that across the globe, um, we had many different monitoring solutions because the company had grown organically where it grew through acquisitions. So we needed to take a look at like what capabilities do we need for each part of the ecosystem of tools. Um, you know, what are the capabilities that we need for server monitoring, not only to monitor servers that are sitting in Argentina of many, many different OS types um, or anywhere on the globe, as well as like EC2 instances that we have. How do we monitor all these different things? And so we sort of went through the entire stack of tools and then determined um, what was the future, what is the future tool set that we need that we could standardize on that would be able to help us progress through the future. I think that answers the question. Yes, ma'am. I mean, and as part of that, there's a lot of things in there that you said are really interesting. One, particularly about you were trying to bring together a lot of different infrastructure types, right? So you've got the mainframe, the server, the cloud. Was, 
was part of the issue you were looking at try to trying to figure out how do I get visibility and consistency across this entire estate, or was it more were you looking to have more silos of tools depending upon the infrastructure situation? How were you dealing with that challenge? Yeah, I mean, t- to a certain extent, um, I would love it if, uh, let's say, I'm looking at a tool to do logging, um, such as Splunk, which mm-hmm. we have. You know, I would love it for Splunk to be able to handle logging and log analytics for every piece of infrastructure that we have. Um, so, you know, in, in an ideal world, now there could be parts right. of our infrastructure applications that we can't log with Splunk, or maybe we're gonna we're going to do less than real time logs. So, you know, um, so, so we would have to look at like, okay, well, if we actually really want to get, um, I don't know, mainframe data directly into Splunk, then how are we going to do that? And that was the case with um, the ITSM solution is, you know, I could choose to have an ITSM solution that can handle everything except for, I don't know, some segment of our infrastructure, but in an ideal world, I would like to have one, one ITSM solution and one CMDB that covers the entire footprint. Um, and not only the entire footprint today, but if we're now going to start um, investing in Kubernetes or Docker or you name it, what that future technology would be like serverless, then I need mm-hmm. to be able to, my tools, the tools that we have need to be extensible to those new scenarios also. Exactly right. Right, And there's a lot of folks that we're talking about now of really trying to make your technology choices today be, and I realize it's a trite term, but future-proofed a bit, of able to not only handle the technology, the diverse stack that you have today, but also the diversity that may come as you choose to engage with some of those newer technologies. Um, so I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, interestingly, a conversation I just had with somebody, they referred to their roadmap as just merely their current understanding of how they yeah. were going to get to their vision, not necessarily um, written in stone or carved in rock like we, we might, have, might have looked at previously. That's um, okay, that sounds. I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, what I was going to say is um, one of the things that I started right away was a quarterly roadmap. Um, kind of release that we would send out to everybody in the infrastructure team and application teams. Like here's the things Mm -hmm. that we're looking at. Here's the new use cases that we're trying to look at. And then each quarter we would release this roadmap. It's basically just an email at this point, but hopefully we'll get the answer one day, but it basically says, here's all the things that we need to do research and analysis on. Here's where we're doing proof of concepts and here's the tools that we've selected or the new automation platforms. Because like you said, it's constantly needs to be evolving and, and keeping up. And sometimes, you know, um, you may select a tool set and it's your standard tool set. You rolled it out across the globe, but you get a new use case in that that tool set is not ready for. And that's going to happen. You just have to be open to taking a uh, focus on the use cases and what you're trying, you know, what you need as opposed to being locked into this sort of like, I have to stay on this tool. I love this tool and it's the best thing in the world or this technology. Mm-hmm. Stuff, you know? So um, it's constant evolution and it just has to be constantly fed with um, continual learning and research. 
So that's an interesting point. So on one piece, it's the technology, and it, the technology has to be flexible, but so do the people and, and the culture, and they have to be open to to thinking that way and, and to not gripping onto that tool and, and be unwilling to change. How has your communication of that roadmap and, and the consistency and going out with that, how has that been received in your organization? And do you feel like that had maybe any positive cultural impacts or anything like that? I think it's, it's been good. I mean, we, we made sure that we were really working with our customers. So, you know, let's say the application development teams are here at first data, you know, they want to use, some kind of an orchestration to do CI, CD to deploy their code. Well, kind of what's happened over the years is different development teams, you know, put up their own instance of Jenkins or Rundeck or whatever, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was not really for, you know, that they, maybe they had worked somewhere else and they had used it, but it was really more of a starvation that created that. So having that roadmap go out that says, hey, we're now researching, um, you know, what we should use for CI, CD, it's very positive and people want to participate and test things out and see how it's going to work. So that's just one example, but it, it could be that for any different tool set. That's fantastic. Um, and I, and I wish you well with that because I'll be curious to see how things progress as, as you go forward. Um, so switching gears on you slightly, um, how do you feel automation and some of the automation capabilities have played into your transformation? Well, automation is really interesting because there's so many different forms of automation now. So, you know, when mm -hmm. people talk about cognitive, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the things that we're starting to do there um, and AI ops and all these different things. Once we kind of laid the foundation of like, this is where we want to be at, then that's the next level of automation that, that we're working towards. Um, I, one of the problems that I experienced, though, is that there's a lot of fear of automation. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I guess what we're trying to do is introduce people to different forms of automation um, and then start building out those use cases and people need to feel comfortable that, hey, this automation is going to be able to accomplish what, what needs to be done. Um, and, and so that, that's sort of the next step. We, do, we did start a robotic process automation center of excellence this year. Um, we also did a hackathon and we had, you know, we, we had uh, vendors come on site and train people on things like Alexa or, you know, different types of um, Watson could be something that we could do next year, maybe. But um, mm -hmm. it's really getting people's heads wrapped around intelligent automation, how these things could help them do their jobs and solve problems for them so that they're, they're not stuck in the trenches doing things manually. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, you know, in the future, and I, when I said fear of automation, I wasn't really speaking about just like losing their jobs type of fear. Oh, yes, maybe there's some of that. Uh -huh. but more, um, especially in an operations environment, fear that the automation will, will go awry and cause a problem or, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's the fear that I'm talking about. I think that makes sense and because a lot of the, there are a lot of automation tools out there that are very single threaded, right? Or force you into doing things in, in a certain way or in a predefined way and it becomes like an assembly line thing where you've got a hammer and everything that comes down that line gets smacked 
like a nail, even if it's a screw, even if it's something else. And there aren't a lot of organizations that have that ability to add um, automation that is more flexible, more understanding. And when, from a BNC perspective, when we start to talk about automation or what we consider intelligent automation or scalable or flexible automation, those are the types of use cases and scenarios we're trying to speak to of it's not meant to be one size fits all. It's not meant for the automation to tell you what you have to do. The automation has to be built in a way with tools like Control M and things like that that are very flexible and are able to seamlessly slip into situations and then plug in where you need them to do it and, and to become that backbone for you. Um, yep. So that, that makes a lot of sense where you're going in and, and I wish you luck with that because Automation is the thing, even internally, um, our own IT organization, the, the way they refer to it is, you know, push the work down to automation um, and then raise the people up so that they can then focus on some of those more value add activities. Um, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I do want to tap a little bit more into that cognitive that you mentioned, though. Um, so are you utilizing bots as part of your transformation journey or what's the, what, how do bots fit into your future? Yeah, we, we're using, there's two, well, within First Data, there's our, we have a, a huge um, call center presence where we provide call center services to a lot of banks and, and um, card issuers and uh, merchants. So within, within that context, um, the company has started implementing interactive, like chat bots that can work with um, customers and call center people. Internally within um, First Data, within my team, we started a robotic process automation effort. So those are little um, software bots that can perform the actions that somebody might do in the call center or in our global command center, you know, where we're operating on um, incidents or changes and things like that. So we've started, I think right now we have um, about 20 bots that are in production. I think that this is something that's going to just increase over the course of next year. Um, and part of it is just, you know, learning on, on what type of management is required for the bots, because, you know, of course you introduce all this automation. If something changes that suddenly it doesn't function, you have to have some sort of care and feeding on that automation like you would with, with anything else. So, so it's pretty okay. nascent right now. It's pretty nascent. I mean, I think it's going to, turn into something that's uh, I would say used probably throughout the company by the end of next year. Um, okay. We have so many, once we started like um, what we did was we kind of did a bit of evangelization on here's what the bots can do and go watch this video and things like that. And mm -hmm. that created such a backlog of use cases that we're not quite able to talk about <laughs> it. So it's kind of okay. taken off and um people are starting to understand, hey, I could have these tasks that I do day in, day out that are really routine and, you know, that, that I, could, I could just get myself away from doing that so I can focus on the real engineering problems or business problems that I'm trying to deal with. So that's good. So now you have so many use cases, you just have to figure out which ones to prioritize, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, very well, great. So, uh, just in tapping on that, what what kind of structure do you think you'll use for, to make those choices? Is it going to be like impact to the business or revenue, or you know, what do you, what are some of the criteria you think you'll use? We spent a lot of time on that, and it's um, really about you know how many times this particular process is run. You know, like if there's 
if there's something where you've got seven people that are day in day out, you know, processing sales orders or, you know, setting up new, new customers in the command center for file transfers. And these are things that are done over and over and over again. Um, then there's, there's sort of like high priority to automate and, and yeah, there's maybe a return to the business, but I think a lot of it has to do with the volume of tasks. That's one of the things that we also now have some scorecards where we can see like, here's how many tasks that the humans were doing per hour. And here's how many tasks that the robots can do in that same amount of time. And then the, you know, let's think about um, sales orders. You know, you probably have quite a few that are simple, but then you have some number that are like custom orders that somebody has to, you know, take out of Salesforce or do some special things with. So you can automate mm-hmm. away all the ones that are sort of routine and easy to handle. And then that frees up your people to work on the complex ones. As part of looking at the bots and then also as part of your larger automation and transformation journey, have you also made part of that work process um, evaluating the processes that you have to make sure that those are optimized for whatever metric you want them to be optimized for? Like, for example, some folks I talk to say, you know, gosh, every um, process in this company is oriented towards control right, or financial control, or maybe it's optimized towards customer experience, et cetera. Um, and when, as they move to automation, they use that as a chance to not just take kind of a not so great process and try to automate it, but to also evolve the process as well. Like, has that been part of um, first data's process at all? I think that's sort of a, a great goal that we have. However, mm-hmm. a lot of it is more, I don't know how to say this. I, I think that there's so much, um, a lot of the rigor in our processes around compliance and um, regulations and things like that. Sure. So yeah. re- sometimes it's quicker to do the automation and then use your people to build and completely new process or, you know, um, hire, hire developers to do something completely different. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's all part of it. Um and I th- what I see happening is a lot of companies will start doing the bots just as a stopgap, but hopefully yeah. you're taking the talent that you have and you're putting them on the actual problem to say, how can we re-engineer this whole thing so that it's not a sort of workflow-based process, if that makes sense. It does. I think that's a very interesting perspective, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to automate here just to give myself the time to be able to go back and re-engineer the process or decide I'm going to start from a blank sheet of paper and reconfigure the whole thing. But I need something that buys me the time to give me that. So I I think that's, that's interesting. It would also then give you a very nice baseline, right? Of like of where you're coming from and then where you're going to. And it could be that the process of moving into automation will expose those gaps to you, right? Or maybe you'll have a better way to notice this is where my bottleneck is, or this is where my, I have excessive approvals or, you know, whatever, whatever your situation may be. But I would imagine in an in a area where you are with like highly regulated things like that, like these things are probably more challenging than maybe for some other industries. But do you feel like automation helps you with maybe some of those autom- or the regulatory concerns? Maybe you have a more consistent way to do it or you could prove it or you have that audit trail or anything like exactly. that? Yeah, more higher quality. One of the problems that, that um, should be mentioned is that oftentimes the process is not documented and uncovering uh, okay. what the actual process is takes quite a bit of time. 
because the process could involve somebody, you know, taking something off one, one system and then um, cutting and pasting it into something else. And they could have something sitting on their desk that's like their cheat sheet, you know, that they've used forever and mm-hmm. ever. And so sometimes, especially some, some processes have been used for years, you know, years and years here I'm talking. So um, that's, yeah. that's one of the struggles is like, can you document what your process is? And so I think, I think that's becomes a hurdle. And, um, you know, I've been looking lately at this uh, technology that will you put an agent on your desktop and it kind of watches everything you do. So it can identify things that are kind of repeated over and over and over again. I guess that, that, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, yeah. I want to test them out. I, I don't, I don't know if I believe that they're going to give us any better answers, but I think mm-hmm. that that's, that kind of technology that could really, I don't want to call it machine learning. It's more like learning how end users are interacting, which over the years there's been different applications for this, but I think that's a problem is how do you even know what people are doing? I guess. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we have part of our point of view on cognitive is just identifying patterns of behavior, Mm -hmm. right? Not necessarily machine learning, but it's something where it shows you what did that, because sometimes the patterns are different than just intuitively you expect them to be, or even if you question someone, they would openly admit to, right? Because maybe they just don't realize it. Um, mm-hmm. So no, I, I think that's interesting. So thank you for sharing all of that. So what do you think is next for your team in, in your journey towards transformation? Is it things like, you know, moving more to the cloud, self-healing infrastructure, where, you know, where, where are you going? Ultimately, the, one of the main goals is really self-healing infrastructure that you mentioned and, um, and, and trying to work with plans on like where, where are the areas that we could really carve out and move to the cloud that would make a lot of sense because we would have more control. Like one of the things that I've been talking about recently is just um, if you take all your development environments that are sitting on on-prem and if you, if you move those, assuming this all like Windows and Linux and whatever else. Sure you know, that sort of thing is if you move it to the cloud, then you can put things on snooze schedules where you shut things, you shut things down on the weekends or when people aren't actually doing development and it saves you over money. It saves you money over having to like have that infrastructure sitting there available, waiting for people to, you know, do their coding. So I think there's some really easy things that, that most companies should be considering moving quickly to the cloud. Other things are more difficult. Um, when it comes to self-healing, this is about, you know, actually going to the point where you get an alert and then it triggers an action to be taken to correct a problem. Um, so this is where I'm working with the leadership team to set some targets. Like there should be some percentage of actionable events that we are automatic, you know, automatically resolving. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of them that are just really easy and simple. So I think that that for me is is sort of the next the next thing you know and and the goals that we can achieve now that we have the basic tools in place to get there. Okay. Well, so there's a lot to dig in on on that one. So <laughs> I, I'm sure I get asked at least once a week once a week on you know how do I decide what to move to the cloud um, next? What 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 should my list be? Do you have any guidance or advice for folks who are struggling with that question? 
Well, the good news is that now there's some um, tools that you can use to analyze, you know, what would be the savings if you moved your workload between one cloud provider to the other or back to, even back to on-prem. So I would think it's like mostly it's usually speed and cost. And um, one thing I recommend is working on setting up a DR environment that's on the cloud because it can be completely um, a passive environment that's not turned on. And so uh -huh. that's that's one of the great use cases for using cloud is instead of, you know, buying some more hardware in a different data center and duplicating your hardware so that you can do a, a DR, st stand it up on the cloud and then have it all, you know, dormant. You could spin it up mm -hmm. when you need to. So I think there's a lot of really good um, uses like that. Obviously, a lot of older good. companies have workloads that they can't move to the cloud, so mm -hmm. um, would need some re-engineering. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and there that's one of the things that, that we run into often is that people will have that point of view or at least just a situation of this set of things, whether it's because, you know, I've got Oracle or whatever I have, that's not moving anytime soon, right? I have the, these other things over here, and I think ease of move, you know, is not a horrible way to look at it even, right? Of just like, what can we do? How can we get some successes? How can we get used to managing this and, and the costs and, and speed and reliability and all these other different things? I think um, that, that gives people a nice place to start from and at least get started. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, and then to our point earlier, you know, you have your roadmap and then you know, recognize that that may change as, as situations change or use cases evolve. Um, Let's see. I think I think that's all we have time for today. But I want to thank you so much. Is there any other um, advice you would have for folks who are considering um, going through their current transformation of just lessons learned or, or things you wish you knew when you had started that you know now? I mean, well, the only other thing I just really want to mention is um, I, I hear a lot of people talking about you know I had to bring in all new people to to do this transformation. Mm -hmm. And then people who have experience with these new technologies, and really, I I think that it is good to always bring in some new people. But I'm a bigger fan of inspiring the people that you have already in your organization to learn new things and you know find out about these new technologies. And I you know I can't even tell you how happy I have some people on my team who've now totally embraced like. AWS and cognitive and all these different things and it's you know initially it's sort of a bit of resistance but once they grasp like how much um, you know how much impact that these technologies can have they really just dive right in and 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 love to learn new things so I think that's for me is the main thing is like it's not really just about oh I need to bring in these other people who are like cloud solution architects or <laughs> or understand yeah. what AI is. You can really, you can really push your current people to learn, and and most people in the field will learn. So, I think that's fantastic and a great, um, a nice inspirational point to leave everyone with. So, thank you for sharing that. Um, again, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to continuing to partner with you on this journey and help you get there as quickly um, and efficiently as, as you want us to. Um, so thank you again, Amaya, so much. And Jill, back to you. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Allison, and very special thanks to Amaya for joining us. It really was an honor, um, as Allison said, and a pleasure to have you on with us today. So thank you for sharing your awesome story and your insights for everybody. So um, to our listeners today, please be sure to follow our podcast and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon from the cloud. And that's a wrap for now. Thanks for listening to the BMC Run and Reinvent podcast. Have a wonderful day.